This weekend, my nine-year-old daughter completed her first musical theater performance. She was a Oompa Loompa in Peninsula High School's Willy, uh, production of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I know many other Chapel Hill students were involved in that production, so congratulations to all of you on your uh, last night last night. Uh, if you haven't seen it, the production is based on the 1971 film of the same name, starring Gene Wilder. I grew up watching this movie, and one of the characters in this movie became a kind of anti-role model in our house. I don't know if, if you've got a person in mind, but this person was Veruca Salt. <laughs> yeah, Veruca, not Veronica, but Veruca is an impudent child who demands that her father gives her everything she wants. At one point, she sees a squirrel in Mr. Wonka's factory, and she says, Daddy, I want a squirrel. Get me one of those squirrels. I want one. To which her father responds, Veruca, dear, you, you have many marvelous pets. And she says, all I've got at home is one pony and two dogs and four cats and six bunny rabbits and two parakeets and three canaries and a green parrot and a turtle and a silly old hamster. I want a squirrel. Like I said, in our home growing up, Veruca became an anti-role model. That is, Veruca became someone my parents cited as an example of how we shouldn't behave. In fact, there was a phrase that uh, in our home began to become associated with Veruca, and my parents would say it over and over and over again. It was this, I want doesn't get. Now, I think this is an excellent way to parent, <laughs> especially in a world that teaches you that you can have whatever you want and you can have it right now. However, as we'll see in today's passage, Veruca's impudent requests may actually be a lot closer to how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Now, that might sound incredulous, to think that we can approach God in prayer in such a, a rude way, but you might be surprised to see that God actually invites us to do so. Well, my name's Ellis. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Chapel Hill, especially if you are new. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke, one of the four accounts we have of the life of Jesus. And one of the things we see repeatedly in Luke's Gospel is that he records that Jesus himself took time to pray. In fact, Luke records Jesus praying more often than any other Gospel. And in today's passage, which is in Luke chapter 11, you can turn there now if you've got a Bible, Luke 11, uh, it begins with Jesus doing just that. We find him in prayer. And this elicits a request from his disciples, a request that would have been common among disciples of any first century Jewish rabbi. And it is this, teach us to pray. And this morning, we're going to allow Jesus to teach us to pray. P-R-A-Y. One way to pray for each of the letters of the word pray. And the first of those is found in the first couple of verses of this chapter. So Luke 11, and we're going to begin at the beginning, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a, a certain place, and when he finished, one of the, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God was referred to as the father of his people. In Exodus, he calls his people my firstborn son. In Deuteronomy, Moses sings, is he not your father? And the prophet Jeremiah says, for thus says the Lord, 
I am a father to Israel. For first century Jews, it was undisputed that God was their father, but it was not customary for first century views to refer to him as father without the qualifying use of the word heavenly. First century Jews would always say, heavenly father, our father who is in heaven, but not Jesus. Jesus just called him father, or more likely in Jesus's native tongue of Aramaic, he would have said, Abba. No, not the Swedish pop group with hits such as Dancing Queen, (laughs) but a term that today is more closely akin to a child saying, Dada. I sat this week with a a uh, young father who has kids almost the same age as mine. My kids are, are seven and nine. And he spoke about what an incredible age it is to have kids and to be a dad. He said to me, they still give you snuggles and they still call you dada. And he's right. My kids still call out to me and say, dada. It's a name I love to hear because it speaks of that intimate relationship that they have with me. The, the closeness of our bond at It warms my heart. Now, of course, Jesus could approach God in prayer by saying, Dada, because Jesus was the Son of God. But here's what's radical. Jesus' disciples came to him, and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus teaches his disciples to approach God in prayer exactly the same way Jesus himself does, by saying, Abba. Father, Dada. You know, that, this is scandalous to a first century Jew. This is the God who is holy, 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 as we've all been singing, all powerful, above all things. How dare we approach him and use that most intimate of terms, Dada? And here is the first way that Jesus teaches us to pray. The letter P in the word, P-R-A-Y, and it is this, pray personally. Here's why this is possible. You see, when we approach God in prayer, we don't do so on our own merits. In ourselves, we are stained by sin. If we were to come into God's presence in and of ourselves, God's holiness would consume us. We have no right in and of ourselves to approach God. In any way, let alone in this intimate, personal way. But we don't approach God in and of ourselves. We approach God in the person of Jesus. It is only through Jesus' death on the cross that our sin can be covered. It is only through his, his resurrection from the grave that we can be justified and clothed in his righteousness In that way, we are therefore adopted into God's family. We become sons and daughters of God on the basis of Jesus' work alone. And on that basis, we can approach God in this intimate way by calling him Father, Abba, Dada. So that's the first way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. The P in the word P-R-A-Y. We are to pray personally. The next way he teaches them to pray comes in the next few verses with a prayer that you are likely familiar with, but it has some distinct differences from the form you most likely pray. So let's keep reading, verses 2 to 4. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, most of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. We prayed it earlier on. We just sung about it, the prayer that begins, Our Father who is in heaven. We pray it every week here at Chapel Hill. We've, we've preached on the Lord's Prayer. We've broken it down line by line. I, I recently put a video out on YouTube about the Lord's Prayer, saying how it's the model prayer that we can use in our own prayer time to connect with God. But the prayer we think of as the Lord's Prayer is it's actually slightly different from the words we just read, isn't it? The prayer we think of as the Lord's Prayer comes from Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. This is Luke's account, and there are some key differences. Maybe you noticed them as we were reading it. Luke records Jesus as teaching his disciples to address God as Father, whereas Matthew says, our Father who is in heaven, the much more kind of traditional Jewish way that they would approach God, as I, as I mentioned earlier. And Luke goes on to omit two of the petitions that Matthew includes in his prayer. First, he omits, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And second, he omits, deliver us from the evil one. So why is this? Why do we have two different accounts of the Lord's Prayer? Well, some people think that Luke is just summarizing Matthew's version. He, he takes Matthew's version and he kind of condenses it down and makes it a little more concise. That's potentially true. Other people think that Luke actually has the original version of the prayer, and it, it was actually a Hebrew prayer, an Aramaic prayer, and then Matthew later on expands it out and makes it slightly bigger. Now, that's also possible, but it's also possible that Jesus taught this prayer two times on two different occasions in two slightly different ways. And we get some of that from the context. In this instance, in Luke, it says Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. In Matthew, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer as part of his Sermon on the Mount, teaching a whole body of teaching. So it's entirely possible that Jesus taught this prayer on two different occasions in two slightly different ways. Regardless, both of these versions of this prayer are attributed to Jesus. Neither one contradicts the other. And so I think we're safe to use either one of them. But the church down the centuries, the tradition that we have had is to use the longer version that we find in Matthew's gospel. So that was a little aside, but here's what struck me as I studied this week. The, the requests of this prayer, the requests of the Lord's Prayer are all resolute. That is, there are no ifs or could use or even a, a please in this prayer. And this is the second way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. The R in the word P-R-A-Y, and that is to pray resolutely. You know, when Veruca Salt comes to her father in Willy Wonka with a request, she doesn't come wavering on what she's asking for. She doesn't come saying, if it's possible, would there be any chance, if it's not too much trouble, if maybe I could have a squirrel? No, Veruca comes to her father and says, Daddy, get me one of those squirrels. Veruca is resolute in what she is asking of her father. That is, she is purposeful, determined, and unwavering. There are no ifs or woulds or coulds with Veruca's requests. And amazingly, in the prayer Jesus teaches his disciples, there's no ifs or woulds or coulds either. Every request in this prayer that Jesus teaches us is a type of verb in the original Greek language that is known as an imperative. 
It is a commanding sort of action word. It's, it's something you would say to command someone to do something. Jesus teaches his disciples that they are literally to command God, to be resolute in what they ask of God, not wavering with ifs. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. Not, if it's possible, Father, could you hallow your name today? And, and if you have the time, only if, I know you're very busy, would you bring your kingdom here, maybe? And if it's not too much trouble, I could really do with some food. And, and then when you're done with all your other work, I know there's so much that you've got to do. Could you forgive us our sins? And, you know, if you could put all the puzzle pieces together and make it work, I don't know if you can, but if you can, maybe could you lead us not into temptation? Would that be all right? That's not how Jesus teaches us to pray. We are to be resolute. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sin. Lead us not into temptation. We are to pray resolutely. As if to underscore this, Jesus tells a parable. Let's keep reading. Verses 5 to 8. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus tells a story about a man who has a, a visitor who has come on a, a long journey, shows up in the middle of the night. Now, travel at night was not uncommon in first century Israel because of the hot daytime temperatures. But when this guest shows up, the host realizes, I don't have any food to set before them. They've been on this long journey. They're, they're starving. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house, middle of the night, bangs on the door, wakes up his neighbor and says, hey, give me three loaves of bread. I've got a friend who's come over. They've been on a long journey. And the neighbor goes, oh, don't bother me. I'm already in bed. At least initially. But ultimately, the neighbor decides to get up and give his neighbor some bread. Not because he, he particularly wants to help out, but just because he wants to end the bothersome request. I mean, the middle of the night. Can you believe it? Verse 8 says it this way, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now that word translated impudence, Whitworth's professor emeritus James Edwards says that this word has a thoroughly pejorative meaning throughout ancient Greek literature. It's always used negatively. He defines it this way. He says it is asking rudely, even acting rudely, to get a request at any cost without thought of propriety or shame. And who does that remind you of? <laughs> Baruch Assault. And this is the third way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. The letter A in the word, P-R-A-Y, they are to pray audaciously. Luke teaches his disciples that they are free to approach God in an audacious manner, 
like in the middle of the night, getting up to bang on your neighbor's door and wake them up and demand that they give you some food because you are unprepared for your guest. It's totally rude, completely audacious, shamelessly audacious. Not dissimilar from the way Veruca Salt approaches her father. And I think this is crazy. You know, if we were to treat other human beings in this way when we ask things of them, it would ruin our relationships with, with them, wouldn't it? Imagine if a coworker came to you, slapped down a bunch of papers on your desk and said, do this work for me that my boss just gave me to do. How would you feel? Or imagine if you're, you're working at home, you're using a power tool and your neighbor strolls on over and says, give me that power tool. I've got some jobs I need to do. You wouldn't stand for it, would you? You'd probably never want to speak to that coworker or that neighbor again. But here's what's stunning. Our father's not bothered by requests that are put to him in such a manner. He's not bothered by audacity or rudeness or impudence. Jesus tells us the complete opposite, in fact, that it's actually how we should pray. We're to approach God not only resolutely without ifs or could you's or would you's, but we are to approach God audaciously without fear of recompense. No request of ours is going to result in the breakdown of our relationship with God, no matter how outrageous it is, no matter how impudent it is, no matter how flawed our request is. No request we bring to God in prayer is too much for him to handle. So bring it on. Bring it all. Lay it all out there for him. Tell him how you're really feeling. Amen. This is good news, isn't it? God isn't going to reject you. He won't reject you no matter what requests you bring to him. We are to pray audaciously, shamelessly, rudely, impudently. But, and this leads us to the final way, that fourth way Jesus teaches us to pray. God will only give us what is good for us. And sometimes what is good for us isn't what we've asked for. So let's keep reading. Verse 9 to 13. And I tell you, this is Jesus continuing to speak, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus tells another parable here. This time it's about a father whose son comes to him and asks for a fish and an egg. And Jesus says that any earthly father, as evil as they might be, and notice that Jesus here says that we are all evil, that is, we are all stained by sin. We are all in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that any earthly father, in response to a request for a fish or an egg, would not give his son a snake or a scorpion. And Jesus says that if that is so, how much more will our heavenly father, who is good and not evil, Give to us when we ask him good things. And in particular, give us the greatest gift we can ever receive, the gift of the Holy 
Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' very presence among us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was, was present in bodily form. And in that body, he died, he rose again, and then in that body, he ascended into heaven. Jesus is no longer present with us in bodily form. He is present with us today by the power of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God could ever give to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see who Jesus is. We were talking about that a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit is the one who affirms our adoption as sons and daughters. He's called the Spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the one who is continually changing us, sanctifying us, making us more and more into the people that God has destined for us to be. The Holy Spirit is the one who falls upon us in power so that we may do the work to which God has called us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to keep us in salvation until the very end, making sure that He will finish the work that was started on the cross of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God can ever give us because without the work of the Spirit in our lives, we cannot attain salvation. And the great news is God has given the Spirit of Christ to all who ask for Him. What wondrous news. And if you haven't asked for Christ to send his spirit into you. If you've never said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Give me your spirit. Then I'm going to allow you to, I'm going to invite you to do that in a few moments. However, the point that I think Jesus is trying to make in these verses regarding how we are to pray, the final way that Jesus teaches us to pray, the why in the letter P-R-A-Y is that we should pray yieldingly. And I think I made that word up. Jesus says, verse 10, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I want you to note something. Jesus doesn't specify what we will receive, or what we will find, or what will be opened. Only that God will respond to our requests. In the same way in that parable of the father and the son, He doesn't specify that the father actually gives his son a fish or an egg, only that he won't give his son a snake or a scorpion. In other words, what Jesus is teaching us here is that when we pray and ask for something from God, we can expect God to respond and to give us something good, but the good thing may not be exactly what we were asking for. Now, my kids come to me all the time and ask for candy or ice cream. And sometimes I'll give it to them, but a lot of the time I won't. Now, why is that? Because I know that what they really need isn't candy or ice cream. Actually, what's going on is they're hungry and they need something nutritious and filling, something that's going to satisfy their hunger. And so when they come to me and they say, Dada, can I have ice cream? I think about it, and I go, no, you can have a sandwich. In the same way, when we come to God in prayer, personally, dada, resolutely, this is what I want. 
audaciously, even a little bit rudely, with a request, he's going to respond. But he might not give us exactly what we ask for. Why? Because just like with me and my kids, our Heavenly Father is wiser than we are. And he knows that even though we might be asking for candy, what we need is a sandwich. This is the final way Jesus teaches us to pray. We are to pray yieldingly. That is, we are to yield to the will of our good Father in heaven. He has our best interests at heart. He will respond to our requests by giving us what we really need. And as I said earlier, He's already given us what we really, really need, the gift of the Holy Spirit by whom, through the work of whom, the Spirit of Christ, we are saved. And so, our task is to yield to the Father's response to our prayers. Not to grumble and complain like Veruca Salt. Yes, thankfully, the metaphor does break down. But to trust that our Heavenly Father loves us and will give us what is good for us, even if we can't see that yet. So, teach us to pray, Jesus says. Here's how you pray. Pray personally, pray resolutely, pray audaciously, and pray yieldingly. Pray personally. Address God in that intimate way. Father, Abba, Dada, Pray resolutely, without hesitation, without ifs or or could you's or would you's. Pray audaciously, without fear of retribution, thinking, well, it might be a bit rude if I ask God for that. No, ask. And pray yieldingly, trusting that our good Father has your best interests at heart. We're to pray personally, resolutely, audaciously, and yieldingly. Let's pray right now. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that we can boldly approach you in the most intimate of ways. Only through Jesus can we approach your throne. Only through the work of Christ and the spirit of adoption poured out upon us do we become your sons and daughters and can we cry out to you, Abba, Father, what a gift. We come to you today believing that you're a good father. You have our best interests at heart. And if you have never invited Jesus to pour out his spirit upon you, if you've never said, I I am going to choose to make my life about Jesus and Jesus, I need you to send your spirit into my life so that I can do that. If If you've never done that before, I invite you to do that in the quiet of your heart right now. Just say, yes, Jesus, I want you above everything else. Thank you for your forgiveness for my sin. And Jesus, send your spirit to empower me, enable me to walk out this life in a manner worthy of what you've called me to. He will give you that Holy Spirit. That's the promise of his word. And now there are many things that are going on in our lives. I'm sure the Lord's laying things on on your heart, calling things to mind right now, things for which you have been praying or you should be praying, for healing, for him to 
give something, for, for him to forgive something, for him to move in some way, for him to act in some way. Just bring that resolutely before the Lord right now. Not an if or a, or a would you or even a please. Just, just bring it and say, God, move. God, heal. God, give. God, forgive. Now get bolder. Be more audacious. Ask bigger than that. I think sometimes our issues, our prayers are too small. We don't want to offend God. Offend him. Try it out. You can't do it. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So pray bigger. Pray bolder. Tell God how you feel. Let him know how deep the pain is. He's not afraid of that. Bring it to him. Ask him. Be audacious. Shamelessly. now yield as Jesus prayed in the garden not my will but thine trust that he's a good father trust that he loves you and that when we ask we will receive when we seek we will find when we knock the door will be opened he will respond he won't give us a snake or a scorpion he's a good father and ask for his Holy Spirit to fall upon you now. The greatest gift that he could ever give. So God, we look to you. We put our eyes upon you. Fix our gaze on you. And we give you the praise that is due your name. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. 
To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.